Welcome to episode 16 of Becoming Other. In this episode, I'm going to try to explain what the perspective of BLR, Beyond Left and Right, is all about, uh, just so people can understand a little bit more, even though this doesn't really actually exist as a movement yet, or who knows if it will ever exist. But it's just a position I found myself in, and I just found myself thinking a lot about it, and... Uh, in particular, there is one challenge to it that kind of stands out, and that's that's the the charge that beyond left and right uh, is a reactionary position. In other words, it is supporting oppressive or repressive power regimes. To be clear, no one has actually made this charge of me or the BLR philosophy. But it's more like a, a charge that I would anticipate. Uh, if BLR were to gain any kind of traction, I anticipate that the left would would make this charge against it. Also, just as a side note before I get started, I find just the whole concept of creating labels and isms and uh, constructions of philosophies, I find like all of this as a little bit pretentious and to me that's part of the beyond left and right perspective is is a kind of critical awareness of just how uh theoretical politics can can end up almost as like a kind of larping or live action role-playing uh where you're participating on these teams and you're dressing up and you're identifying with them and in my perspective BLR is kind of against that, and to even uh, identify with BLR, in a sense, from my perspective, would be uh, a problematic kind of position to take. Moreover, in my view, BLR uh, encompasses a vast array of coordinates of possible political positions that are outside the left-right spectrum. So what I would represent as beyond left and right in no way would represent the full spectrum of possibilities that are outside of it. So all I can do is represent my own perspective. Um, and that just is what it is. And, uh, I can't make any claim to claim the entire space of all possible coordinates that are outside left and right, which would be ridiculous. As one final note, uh, part part of the idea of, of having a philosophy but not identifying with it is that you don't necessarily see yourself as entirely one thing or another, right? So the idea that I am entirely BLR or that I'm I'm not 
part of the left, let's say, or not part of the right or not part of the center. None of that is necessarily true. I'm like all those things at once. So, and none of them. So I, I would say that this is a very deconstructive philosophy that doesn't strongly identify or essentialize any particular position. And it, it really is just kind of like an open-minded, flexible thing that approaches things as, uh, as they are and uh, allow, allows each issue or, or specific question to be addressed on its own terms as opposed to having a preset ideology that gives you all the answers ahead of time. Which is not to say that being free of ideology is necessarily a possible thing. Okay, so let me set the stage for why BLR might be considered a reactionary position. Let's say someone identifies as BLR, but not in a particularly sophisticated way. At minimum, this would mean they don't identify with left, right, or center, and they think that there's something crucially flawed in all three of those perspectives. But the unsophisticated way of approaching this would be to create some kind of equivalency between the three orientations. They're all equally wrong. They may be flawed in different ways, but none of them is preferable to any other in any meaningful sense. First of all, this isn't a nuanced or correct perspective because at their most basic level, interpreted the most broadly, the right exists to protect existing power structures and the left exists to challenge them. Those orientations are fundamentally different and you can't say that preserving a power structure is equivalent to challenging it. That's like saying Malcolm X is morally equivalent to Donald Trump, which is pure nonsense. On some level, politics is a war, and like a war, you're either fighting for side A, side B, or you try to remain neutral. That roughly lines up with the left, right, and center. Therefore, you can claim to be BLR, uh, and you end up at best aligned with the center because you're neutral. And this leaves BLR open to the criticism of being reactionary, and this is why. If side A, the left, is broadly speaking the good side because it's challenging oppressive power structures, and the right side B, broadly speaking, is the bad side because it's defending oppressive power structures, then what does it mean to choose neither side to be neutral? At worst, it means you're failing to contribute to the effort of defeat, defeating the bad side, the right and you are effectively covering for them by creating a false equivalency of both sides being equally bad. Imagine Donald Trump saying about Charlottesville that there was wrongdoing on, quote, all sides, even though it was an alt-right guy that murdered a leftist protester by running her over. The right benefits from this because they enjoy the perception of being not as bad as they really are. Therefore, the unsophisticated BLR position ends up functionally serving the interests of the right, almost like a obscurantism that kind of confuses the matter, like a fog of war, while they build up their reactionary forces. Therefore, the leftists can accuse BLR of being reactionary and, in a sense, in league with the enemy. What is necessary, rather, is that we should all be leftists learn how to be better leftists so that we can be on the good side and defeat the bad side slash overthrow the oppressive power structures. The BLR person would be forced to make a choice then, either join us or join the enemy or just stay out altogether, just go away.
However, my contention is that there exists a sophisticated BLR position that avoids this, this dilemma. This version of BLR can even be considered progressive, which is an interesting concept, being a progressive non-leftist. I don't think I've heard of that from anyone before. The way that it does this is by subtly challenging the assumptions of the previous analysis. Mainly, the assumption that politics is war, a pure antagonism, one class versus another class, oppressors versus oppressed. And so you're either with us or against us, basically. This is definitely an influential strain of thought, uh, partially stemming from Marxism. And it's definitely more sophisticated than the opposite liberal alternative that politics is just all about setting aside our differences, working together, and I guess singing, singing uh, kumbaya or something. At the same time, though, the antagonism hypothesis makes things seem more simple than they actually are. The power structures do exist, and they can be, and often are, oppressive. But it's not as simple as just making them go away, like defeating an enemy in warfare. Because power is a inescapable aspect of the organization of human life, and we create these structures in order to solve definite problems, like how to govern, how to create and distribute resources, how do we deal, deal out justice and enforce rules and laws. These complex structures evolve over time, often determined by who obtains the monopoly of force and violence, and therefore the right, quote-unquote, to govern a particular piece of land. And it's not a simple matter to just create one of these power structures. Therefore, although these structures are highly imperfect, because we can't just snap our fingers and fix all the problems with them, we actually benefit from their existence and have some interest in their continued existence. As bad as an oppressive government is, it's generally better than roaming bands of warlords and total anarchy, which I think most people would agree with that, aside maybe, I guess, from anarchists. People know this, which is why uh, as long as they're fed and they have their basic needs met, they don't revolt. Therefore, we're all, we're all implicated in these oppressive power structures, whether we like it or not. There is no enemy. The enemy is us, our own imperfection. And although the left positions itself as the defenders of the oppressed everywhere, which is great, we should defend the oppressed, it does not have a real demonstrable alternative to these oppressive power structures. In fact, when they do gain power, they create oppressive power structures of their own, like Stalinism and Maoism, which is not to say these leftist regimes are always bad in all aspects. Certainly they had some advantages, as well as some disadvantages, such as killing millions of people. Uh, in that respect, they aren't fundamentally different from Western capitalist regimes, which are also a mixed bag. They have some advantages and they've also killed a lot of people. Um, but And it's also far from obvious that the leftist alternatives that, that we've seen so far are universally preferable for actual working people. Um, and oftentimes working people would actually prefer to live, I think, under uh, a capitalist system where they perceive there to be some kind of like opportunity to move up, however uh, um, inaccurate that perception may be sometimes. Um, yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't think that capitalism necessarily only benefits you if you're part of the 1%. I just don't think that's true. The question is, compared to what? Uh, 
a utopia that never existed, that doesn't mean that the idea of this utopia isn't worth keeping alive and fighting for. It's certainly important to have faith that a better future is possible. But it also hardly makes sense to designate vast swaths of the population as, quote, the enemy based on your hypothetical system that only really exists in your head. When side A loses its luster as the good side, even if it may be relatively better in a lot of respects, then taking, taking a neutral position starts to make more sense, even if side B is particularly noxious. That's not to say that the sophisticated BLR person might, uh, might not strategically align with the left in certain situations. Maybe they agree that the right-wing alternative is worse, even uh, generally worse. But they're also more, quote, woke on the dangers of the left as well. They take a sober view of what has historically happened when the left takes power and just aren't about to become its cheerleaders. A BLR person might decide to support an unconventional centrist with a progressive platform on key issues, like, for example, presidential candidate Andrew Yang and his universal basic income. They may hold out a hope of utopia while rejecting the leftist route of getting us there and being a lot more realistic about how difficult that utopia is to achieve and how utopian visions can easily become dystopian. Therefore, it's false to classify this sophisticated version of BLR as reactionary because it comes out of rejecting the basic coordinates of how leftists see the world as we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. As Zizek points out, the political divide is often a conflict over how to even conceptualize the political divide. Even if the leftist feels insulted by this perspective, in the end, if they're honest with themselves, is it not a good thing to have a diversity of perspectives on what progressivism means? Perhaps leftism can benefit from dialogue with people who don't identify as leftists, but who are also critical of right-wing reactionaries and oppressive power structures in order to avoid a lot of the groupthink, groupthink, dogma, and insularity that tends to plague the left, which, incidentally, in my view, is the primary fuel for right-wing reaction in the first place. And the left can't see this the same way you can't see the back of your own eyeballs. BLR, in my view, is the key to defeating reactionary forces, not an enabler of them. Yep, so there you go. Don't be a unsophisticated BLR. Be a sophisticated one. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that just means paying attention, uh, reading as much philosophy uh, as, as you can, like including leftist philosophy, but also maybe uh, stepping outside of that and not only reading what is designated as critical theory, but maybe just philosophy more generally. And just you keep asking questions and criticizing assumptions and i think that like a kind of fair-minded kind of objective approach uh i think unless unless you're like super committed to just the left uh as um as, because you're just so identified with with fighting for the side and maybe there's nothing wrong with that maybe maybe that's fine for some people but um yeah i think that uh, the BLR perspective could kind of take hold if uh, people, you know, they, they if they if they can 
continually see through assumptions and kind of break through uh, these problematic aspects of uh, different ways of thinking politically. So if you haven't noticed, my episodes have become a little bit more irregular uh, compared to last year when I was releasing them. But I guess that's just kind of a different philosophy I'm taking right now of just recording episodes just whenever I feel inspired, not because I feel like I have to. I mean, this isn't really my job or anything. Um, so uh, I definitely want to put these ideas out there. But um, yeah, pretty much I just want to I want it to be like a, a kind of space of free expression and not necessarily just following a format like a lot of other podcasts do where you just have to put out this weekly content like in my view that's a little bit uh a little bit capitalist um you know this idea that you have to be productive all the time you know so or maybe i'm just lazy but anyway um hope you join me for the next episode